live in a day whenever man criticizes God's word. Whether it be by perverting it, whether it be by neglecting it, or even seeking to weaken it, their times and their efforts are constantly in degrading and going against that which God has written. But I wonder how many of us are happy for God's word to criticize us. Whenever you go over to the book of Hebrews in the chapter 4, and the verse 12, it says, The word of God is quick and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit, and of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That final little phrase in Hebrews 4 and 12, where it says, And it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The word there for discerner in the Greek is the word kritikos. It's where we get our English word criticize from. And it's only used one time in all of Scripture. And so what it is saying there, and what the, God, what the Holy Spirit is saying through the written page, is that the Word of God ought to be able to and should criticize us when there is need to be critical. If there is a fault, it needs to be highlighted. And the Scriptures will always be honest with you. If there's a sin... Scriptures will flag it up. And it will leave it very clear and very bare for you to show you you're completely wrong and you're completely going against God's Word. God's Word is black and white. There's no gray areas. And so I wonder this morning, are you willing or am I willing for the Scriptures not only to strengthen us, not only to encourage us, not only to comfort us, not only to build us up, but are we willing for the Scriptures to criticize us when it needs to. Now I believe as we come to this passage in John's Gospel in the chapter 20, whilst there is the narrative of the wonderful occasion of the Lord's appearance to the disciples, even after his resurrection, I believe there is also an aspect here for self-examination. This event that we read this morning is part of the record of the very first day of the resurrection. That Sunday, whenever Christ rose from the dead, that Sunday, whenever the beginning of the exaltation of Christ takes place, when death and hell is defeated, when the cross is done, Christ is now risen. And of course, you line up all four of the Gospels, you have all of the accounts of everything that happened from the very first bit in terms of the morning time of the Sunday, right through the day, right into the evening time. You can think of Mary Magdalene coming to the tomb early along with the other woman. You can think of Peter and John as they receive that news and as they race to the tomb and as they have those various looks, as it were, they glance into it, they study into it, and then they actually go in to the tomb. You can think as well of the two disciples leaving and going in the road to Emmaus, leaving Jerusalem, and how the Lord himself draws alongside And how the Lord talks with them, He walks with them, and by His Spirit He warms their hearts so that whenever they come to that understanding at that village of Emmaus, they realize who Christ is and that it is the Savior with them, they immediately get up and they return. And what you have here in John chapter 20 follows immediately after the return of the disciples from Emmaus. 
If you were to have Luke's Gospel 24 and verse 33 and following, you have that time whenever the two disciples return, they immediately get up from their place in Emmaus and they return to Jerusalem. And as they are testifying of the Lord's resurrection to the other disciples, Christ appears and this is what you have in John 20. And so we pick up the narrative as it were with those disciples coming in and then the Lord appearing as I entitled it this morning, Seeing Ourselves in Thomas, I want us, whilst looking and thinking about Christ, and we will spend much time in that, but also looking at Thomas. I want to ask you the question this morning to ask yourself, are you the Thomas in the church? Do you see yourself in Thomas and what he says and what he does? Three things I want to leave with you. First of all, the verse 24, his absence. His absence. So it tells us in verse 24, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. Thomas wasn't there. Scripture doesn't say where he was. It doesn't say why he wasn't there, but it's very clear. Thomas is not there. All of the disciples are gathered. All of the disciples are away from the world. They've shut themselves into that room. They've closed the door. There's that fear upon them. They're worried that they're going to be arrested next. There's that concern and that worry. And yea, there's that grief and that sadness because they believe Christ is dead. So they're gathered together in that upper room. The doors are shut. And there's mourning taking place. There's weeping taking place. There's lamenting taking place. Our Savior, our Rabbi, our Master's dead. But Thomas isn't there. It's the Lord's day. It's the first day of the week. We read that in verse 19. Then the same day at evening being the first day of the week. It's Sunday. There's no Thomas. Now, of course, there are those who say, but it doesn't matter what day of the week it is. There are those that say, well, we should be observing the Sabbath and the Saturday. That's what the Seventh-day Adventists will say. They'll say, you don't need to worship on the Sunday. You should be observing the Saturday. Then Sunday's what you want. There are others that will say, well, it doesn't matter what day of the week you worship the Lord. As long as you spend some day in a week worshiping the Lord. Why do you say it has to be Sunday? I say it has to be Sunday because God's Word says it's Sunday. You look at John 20, the verse 19. It's the first day of the week. You look also at John 20 and verse 26. Whenever it says, after eight days again, his disciples were within. Remember in Hebrew Jewish tradition, even the Sunday counts as one. So that first Sunday, the first day of the week, whenever the Lord was raised from the dead, that's one, Monday's two, Wednesday, or Tuesday's three, Wednesday's four, Thursday's five, I'm doing well with my counting, Friday's six, Saturday's seven, Sunday's eight to the Hebrew calendar, to the Hebrew counting. And so whenever you read John 20, verse 28, it says, after eight days again, that means it's the next Sunday. And the next Sunday you have the disciples, and again, they're gathered together. 
Acts 20, the verse 20, or number 7, it tells us in that passage, upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. There's a New Testament church. And guess what? The first day of the week, Sunday, they're having communion. 1 Corinthians 16, the verse 2, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. In other words, bring your tithes and your offerings into the church. What day? Sunday. This is the day that the Lord has set aside. This is the Lord's day to remember that he is risen. To remember and to rejoice that the tomb is empty. To remember and to rejoice that the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross is accepted. To remember and to rejoice that he is alive forevermore. And to remember and to rejoice he's coming again. Then there are those who say Sunday morning only is enough. Don't need to come to church at night. If I give an hour to the Lord in the morning on Sunday, surely that's enough. Surely as long as I'm spending time, I'm coming away from the workplace. I'm coming away from the activities of the world. And I'm coming aside and I'm spending time in God's house on Sunday. Surely once in a day is enough. believers and they'll come every single Sunday morning but every single Sunday night they won't be here and again the question is asked well who says we have to come twice the answer is very simple God does Hebrews 10 to verse 25 not forsaken the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is Again, I bring you to John 20, the verse 19. It says, then the same day at evening being the first day of the week. It's evening time on Sunday. And the disciples are together. And the next Sunday is the same. After eight days, again, his disciples are within. And this time Thomas is with them. And guess what? It's evening time. And they're gathered together. Because I think and I remember as well in terms of that time in Luke 24 whenever the disciples are on the road to Emmaus. And what did they say to the Lord as they drew alongside and as they came towards Emmaus? They said what? Abide with us for it is toward evening. In other words, the day is far spent. The night is now come. And they're asking the Lord, stay with us. But whenever the Lord reveals himself, what do the two disciples do? They immediately get up and they immediately return in the evening time to where the disciples are. And so they're gathering together in the evening. Brother and sisters, men and women, why is it today that so many of us are choosing to miss church? And I use the word choose deliberately because I know there are many times of necessity that restricts us from being here. If you're a nurse, if you're a doctor, it's simply impossible to always be here. There are times when the work of necessity must be done. There are those with emergencies that will come up. There are providences in terms of health that restricts an individual from being in God's house. But there are many who choose not to come on a Sunday night. 
There are many that say this is family day. Between all of the different works of the husband and the wife and the the home place, the only day that we all are together is Sunday. So we'll come to church in the morning, but Sunday afternoon, well, we have to have a family time. So we'll go out. We'll go for a walk. We'll go out and we'll have dinner. And then we'll spend time going around family. We'll never be back in time for church. Or there are parents and they want to encourage their children as much as possible. So they'll give their children as much application in terms of as much of themselves to give their children the best possibilities and their hobbies and their sports. And they realize, oh, my child is really good at a sport. My child's really progressing in that sport. They've actually been elected for Northern Ireland. They've actually been brought up and they're being brought into the squads for under 15s, 16s, whatever. And the training's on a Sunday. And well, I, I don't want to discourage my child. So I'll take them. So many Christians end up in a rut only coming to church once on the Lord's day. They'll go here, they'll go there, they'll go everywhere, but only once in a day will they be found in this house. Do you see what Thomas missed? Very interesting, you go through these verses, whenever you realize and you read that verse, Thomas was not there. But guess what Thomas missed? Thomas missed the presence of Christ. Because Christ came into the assembled gathering. Thomas was not there in the Lord Jesus Christ. He came in the verse 19, it tells us, he came and he stood in the midst. Thomas missed out on seeing Christ. Thomas also missed out on hearing Christ speak. Because you look again at verse 19, at the end of it, he stands in the midst, and Christ said unto them, Peace be unto you. Thomas missed hearing the Lord's voice. Then when you go into verse 20, Thomas missed the revelation of Christ's sufferings. Because when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his sight. He brings forth the hands and he shows them the nail prints. He shows them the marks, the scarring, as it were, from hanging upon a cross. He lifts up the side and he shows them the hole in the side. This is where I was pierced. He brings them to the cross afresh. And he shows the disciples, he shows his children, he shows them people that were gathered there. This is what I did for you. This is the suffering. As I hung upon a cross for your sins. I heard it prayed in the prayer meeting this morning. It thrilled my heart to hear it. Philippians 3 and 10. That I may know him. The power of his resurrection. The fellowship of his sufferings. There's the disciples. And they're in the upper room as it were. On the Lord's day evening. And Christ is showing to them what? The power of his resurrection. The fellowship of his sufferings. What else did Thomas miss out on? Verse 20, the joy of the Lord. Because verse 20 tells us, then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. 
Remember, whenever they first came, what was happening? They were assembled for fear. There was weeping. There was crying. Whenever you look at all of the different gospel accounts, there was mourning and there was lamentation being held in that upper room. But after visiting and the Lord visiting with them and speaking to them, now there's joy. And then they also experienced, verse 22, they experienced the power of God. Because it tells us he breathed on them. He says unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. This word for breathed is not used anywhere else in the original Greek. The Septuagint, translated the Old Testament into Greek, they only use this word in Genesis 2 and verse 7. Whenever it says the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, man became a living soul. Man's original creation was completed by that act of God when he breathed into their nostrils. And here, as it were, the new creation is being breathed upon. The power of the Holy Spirit breathing upon the child of God Do you see the blessings that there are for being in God's house? Not just on a Sunday morning, but on a Sunday night. To feel the presence and to know the presence of Christ, to hear the voice of the Lord to your heart, to have that joy even as you leave, rejoicing in the death and the resurrection of your Savior. Also, many of us, yes, it's a gospel service. I'm saved. What do I need to come for? That's for the unsaved. No, there's so much joy to be found for the Christian in the gospel meeting. As you sit and you hear the gospel being preached, to realize Christ did that for me. Christ died for me. Christ rose again for me. Christ is coming back for me. My, what joy there was, even as they left that house, that upper room, and Thomas missed it. Do you realize what happened for the next seven days? The next seven days, the other ten disciples rejoiced. The other ten disciples went about and they had no fear. They had no dread. They had no sadness or grief within them. Why? Because they had met with Christ. Thomas didn't have that for another seven days. Because Thomas doubted and Thomas refused to believe what they said. And so in his mind, he's still saying, Christ is dead. I'm in trouble. The other ten disciples are walking about praising the Lord. Christ is risen. Thomas missed out. That's the reality for each one. We miss God's house. We miss his presence. We miss his word. We miss the blessing. Child of God, don't be absent. But secondly, I want to move on. I want you to see also the verse 25, his attitude. His attitude. The other disciples, therefore, they said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. 
Now, Thomas's words are striking and very puzzling. He received the testimony from all of the other disciples. He would have heard the same from Mary Magdalene. He would have heard the same from the ladies. Christ is risen. But he won't accept it. He's full of doubt. Unbelief. What this transpires then is Thomas making demands. He says, I'm only going to believe what you say if I get to do what I want. If I get to put my finger into the nail prints in his hands, if I get to thrust my hand into his sight, then I'll believe. You'll only believe if there's a physical appearance. And only if he can reach out and touch the hands. You know, there have been those over the years who have said they will only believe if they actually see something for themselves. You tell someone, oh, you need to be saved. And they'll say, oh, how do I know God's real? If God doesn't appear to me, if I don't have the great flash, and if I don't have that great experience, then I'll not believe. But if I get some visual appearance, then I'll believe. Verse 29, what did the Lord say? Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Hebrews 11, verse 1, faith is the substance of of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Over in Luke's gospel in the chapter 16, the account of the rich man and Lazarus, whenever the rich man's cast into hell, the verse 27 The rich man says to Abraham, I pray thee therefore, Father, that I would send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren. He may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear him. And he says, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went to them from the dead, they will repent. Abraham said, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Remember the words that are found verse 29. Look at it again. Blessed are they that have seen and yet have believed. Faith cometh by what? Seeing? No. Faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. And Thomas refused to believe even though he heard. And that's one thing. His attitude towards the message is one thing, but his attitude towards the Savior is something completely different. You look at the words of verse 25 again. He says, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side. Thrust my hand. The word for thrust is the very first Greek word you ever learn in Bible college. It's the word balo. Balo means to throw. It's where we get our English word ballistic from. You think of a ballistic missile. 
Thomas here is saying, unless I get to drive my hand into his side, to throw my hand at it, I not believe. Now you think of the wound in Christ's side where he was pierced by the spear. Thomas wants to throw his hand at it. To drive his hand in. You think of that pain. A wound that is there and someone driving their hand against a wound. You know, sadly, that's how many people treat Christ. They make God and they make Christ exactly who they want him to be. And they expect Christ just to do what they say, to be at their beck and call, and to just appear whenever, whenever we need him in our times of hardship, in our times of distress. Then, oh, Christ must come and help us. And we'll just say a prayer to Christ, and Christ will just do as we ask. We can treat Christ whatever way we want. Individuals will treat Christ's day whatever way we want. We'll treat Christ's word. We'll treat his gospel. We'll trample all over the gospel. We'll just throw it all to the side. All of the teachings, all of the, even the ethical issues and all of the morals that are found in the word of God. We'll just throw it all out the window. We'll do what we want. Don't care about Christ. So many in the world are doing what Thomas wanted to do. Treat Christ with such disdain. So many today, they just want a little bit of religion. A little bit of church, just when it suits them. My friend, Christianity isn't on your terms. Christianity is on God's terms. Anything less, and I mentioned this in the, in the Bible class before, we talked about full surrender to the Lord and to his word, to his will. Anything less than full surrender to the Lord. Any time that you're trying to barter with the Lord, you're saying, oh Lord, I'll get saved if you sort out this issue. Lord, I'll follow you if you just rid me of my debt. Or Lord, my, my unsaved friend or my loved one in my family is very ill. And Lord, if you would just heal them, Lord, then I'll give my life to you. God isn't there just for your beck and call. Let me encourage young people as well today as older people. Don't have that attitude of dishonor. Disgrace and disregard. Don't trample over the Savior and his sufferings. Don't trample over the cross of Jesus Christ. Salvation is found in Christ and in Christ alone. Anything outside of Christ and you're not saved. Anything other than full surrender to his will for salvation, you're not saved. How how are you saved? Repentance. 
faith in Christ.